the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm joined by Megan Kelly, who knows a little bit about being blacked out by media. Uh, Good morning, Megan. How are you? Hi, Hugh. I'm great. How are you? Good. How's the podcast thriving? You're still among the most listened to people in America. Uh, It's doing very well. And now we're live on Sirius XM between 12 and 2 p.m. We're sort of doing the podcast live. That's been super fun. Excellent. Now, tell me one thing. Uh, Are you a fan of John Androzic? Do you know about his music? Yes. Yes, he's amazing. That song is absolutely haunting. And I'm not surprised one bit it's getting zero play from the mainstream. They sent out a press release yesterday talking about the song's origin to more than 3,000 media outlets, including Rolling Stone. Not one story. It's a blackout, Megan Kelly. You know, I heard him. He was talking to Glenn Beck, and Glenn was making a good point of, since when did rock and roll become about doing and saying what the man wants you to, right? Hasn't it always been a middle finger to the man? And that's exactly what he's doing. But because the man in charge right now happens to be a Democrat, the media is blocking him out. They're not interested in his message. So if for all of their performance art, trying to pretend that they were horrified about what happened in Afghanistan, as soon as they had the chance to turn the page on that story, they did. And they're not interested in anything that's going to take us back to it. And I also I firmly believe if. The rules that are in place now about not criticizing presidents have been in place when Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young wrote to Ohio. It wouldn't have gotten any airplay. But now it's changed because of the Democrat in the White House. I hope you join me in continuing to give attention to blood on my hands. Megan, I want to do something now that I regret doing. I've always liked David Frum. He used to be a fairly nice and influential person. He's been disintermediated from influence by Donald Trump because he went crazy. I mean, he he literally went nuts. Now, you and I both have Trump tattoos. And so I I can show them off. I can proudly stand up with those people who can line up in the media who've been assaulted by Donald Trump verbally and who've lived to talk about it and laugh it off. David was kind of knocked off the balance beam. Uh, he's attacked you this week as being an anti-vaxxer. Now, I think you actually support vaccines like I do. I'm vaccinated. I get to get my booster tomorrow. I am going to uh, applaud when my grandchildren get vaccinated because their mother has done a study of it, and they're safe and qualified for it, and two out of the three of them will be eligible for it. Why is David from attacking you wrongfully, libelously, really, as an anti-vaxxer, which, carries, which is almost slander per se in our business? It's kind of amusing to me. I'm definitely not an anti-vaxxer. I've said repeatedly that I'm pro-vaccine. I've gotten it. My husband's gotten it. And I, I think everyone who wants it should get it. But I don't like these mandates. And I really don't like them for children. And I've said publicly, I have three kids, not one of whom is yet eligible for the vaccine. But I did lose my dad to a heart attack at age 45. And I have a heart issue 
And I worry about my children and their hearts because they've got a genetic predisposition to some frailty there. So I'm watching the myocarditis thing very carefully. And this should be a decision between their pediatrician, my husband, and me. And it shouldn't be forced on them by Joe Biden or anybody else, Dr. Fauci. And there's a reason that the folks in Europe have made a different decision. Our friends in the U.K. are not requiring 12 to 15-year-olds to get this. And even when they get to be older, you know, 16, they're only requiring one shot, which because all of the myocarditis seems to be happening after the second shot. Okay, so these are the considerations by people we don't consider insane, our friends across the pond. Um, so David Frum tweets out the other, day, uh, the other day when the Pfizer report breaks that the Pfizer, the manufacturer of the vaccine, is saying they've had a robust immune response in 5 to 11-year-olds and they think it's safe. And they had no myo- myocarditis uh, so far, but they only tested 2,200 kids. And the, those side effects tend to be 1 in 5,000. Uh, so they're not yet at the numbers where they would show up anyway. So he tweets out, we ought to force these, uh, force these vaccines on all of the, quote, anti-vaxxers and learn from our mistakes. The, the stigma that comes with shaming the anti-vaxxers is what it's all about, is essentially what he said, and that they're right, that that's a big part of it. So we should start shaming them and mandate this as soon as it gets emergency use, use authorization. And I tweeted back to him, you do not have to be an extremist anti-vaxxer, however he phrased it, to have some concerns about vaccinating a little when the virus poses very low risk to them. And we're not yet sure about these vaccines. There's been no long-term testing. That's what had him label me an anti-vaxxer. I laughed because if you just go back and listen to my show, you'll hear me all the time promoting the vaccine. But this is the lunacy of those who have just lost their minds when it comes to these vaccines. It's performance tweeting. And I really do believe a lot of performance tweeting comes from those who have been disintermediated from influence uh, and sometimes from the American Enterprise Institute and other places where they used to hang their hat and are now charity cases at uh, Jeff Goldberg's uh, pleasure. And so I read yesterday another thing that David said. So I thought I would just run this off. Matt Lewis, a friend of mine, he went on Matt Lewis's podcast, which is typically pretty good. And he said, David did. The Republican Party is an elderly party. It's a party of people with chronic health problems. One of the things that was true in 2016, if you found a county where there's a lot of obesity and drug abuse, that's where you had a lot of Trump votes. He went on, there is something compensatory, I think, about this cult of physical prowess. It's people who at some level feel physically weak. There are all these weirdly homoerotic fan images of Trump. Trump can't lift a glass of water, can't walk down a ramp. Hasn't done any meaningful physical exercise ever in his life. The idea that you would make this a fetish about him, it says something about your doubts and your needs. You know, this is weird, Megan. This is just weird. Homoerotic. Do we have to go back to the Obama days and talk about how the media fetted him? I mean, please don't get me started. But I love when I hear people like him write like that or say things like that because they, they just they've dropped the veil altogether. They this is what they think about the right half of the country. Meanwhile, on the vaccine front, which is what he's really railing on, there are large portions of the African-American community that do not want this vaccine for very good reasons. They're not they don't tend to be Trump sycophants. How does he explain that? And to dismiss all Republicans as old white guys who are having homoerotic fantasies about Donald Trump. I'll tell you, two weeks ago, I was down in Houston with Dan Crenshaw with a Crenshaw Youth Summit, and there were thousands, thousands 
of excited young conservatives, black, white, Latino, you name it. This is a guy who hasn't left New York City in a very long time and thinks the rest of the country is just like them. Voted 87 percent in Manhattan for Biden. I had uh, Pastor Robert Jefferson yesterday so that he would endorse the vaccine, which he has done because he's a big Trumpy uh, pastor. I mean, he's a very strong supporter of the former president, but he is also a big supporter of the vaccine. I believe in persuading the vaccine hesitant by a patient, educated argument as to its benefits and why the benefits far outweigh the risks for almost everybody. You do have to consult your doctor if you've got an underlying condition. And I am, however... I'm not a 100 percenter. I think mask mandates for preschoolers are insane. And I think if a parent says my child has a speech problem, they ought to be allowed to dispense with the mask completely because speech cannot improve if they cannot speak clearly and if they often don't see the teacher. So there are some gradations here. And I think the people that are full on, well, extremists like David, It's not really about the vaccine. It's about performance art so that people will pay attention to them again. And control. That's one of the things I hate about the masks. I am definitely more rabid on the anti-masks for children thing than I am on the vaccines. Um, I've got three kids. They sit in class all day long, nine, eight, nine hours with masks on. Just last week, my 11-year-old was forced to be outside doing squat thrusts and planks and sit-ups and push-ups in a mask outside. Oh, he said the boys were sweating through their masks. This is absurd. The CDC did a study on kids in Georgia, 90,000 of them, 90,000. Um, David Zweig uh, in New York Magazine wrote about it. And what the CDC found was that masks were not a factor in preventing COVID, that they did nothing why hasn't that study been everywhere? Because it doesn't fall into this narrative of, like, we all have to wear the masks. It's our social responsibility. Maybe not. Certainly not with the young ones. It hasn't proven to be an effective means of mitigation. And yet the, the hand of big government is across my 8-year-old's face all day while AOC can go to the Met Gala without hers on. These Hollywood celebrities can go to their Emmy Awards without theirs on. Oh, but vaccination. Okay. All the kids, K through 12, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, California, vaccinated or not, they have to sit there all day with those things, those muzzles across their face. I've had it with the masks. Well, I think this is why Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins, both of whom are welcome guests on this show, are losing credibility by the gallon because parents who are living the day-to-day, and my daughter and you have the same issue, their kids do not do well with masks. They ought not to be mandated. It ought to be a parental choice issue. We will see what we will see. Let me close quickly, Megan. I had on Governor Christie and former Secretary of State Pompeo earlier today because they're heading up the National Republican Redistricting Trust. And I asked if the next time they'd be together would be on a debate stage. And they laughed and, of course, diverted from the question, do you think the Presidential Debate Commission should be abolished? Mm. I, I do, actually, because, I mean, you, you look around last time and it was all Democrats and never Trumpers. <laughs> so Trump at that time, he wasn't wrong that the system was rigged against him. I mean, in many ways, but the Presidential Debate, debate Commission, there wasn't somebody who was open minded to Trump on there. Uh, and, and that's the risk. And I don't really understand what function it serves when we could have... We could have such alternate approaches to this. You know, I know Trump last time around suggested Joe Rogan do a debate. Now, I personally wouldn't support that, even though I like Joe Rogan. 
I do think he's admitted he's not fact-based, right? He's just sort of, he throws stuff at a wall. I think you do need people who are fact-based to tee up the questions. But why do we rely on these guys who are about 200 years old to, to randomly pick, you know, a few sort of select journalists, all of whom tend to be biased against the GOP, to, to run the national I, I can do it in five minutes. Away. I could get Eddie Gloud and Megyn Kelly. I could have Rachel Maddow and Hugh Hewitt. I could get Guy Benson and uh, Mary Catherine Hamm and a couple of lefties, and we would have a great time, and it's just time to get rid of the septuagenarian octogenarian debate yeah. commission. Yeah. Megyn Kelly, always good to talk to you on Sirius FM from noon to two. Just please don't move to the mornings. No, I won't. I won't. All right. We got that worked out between us. All right. Good. Good deal. Megan Kelly, always a pleasure. Listen Thank to her on Sirius. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. Ever since abandoning Americans in Afghanistan, Joe Biden has undergone a sharp reassessment by voters, and the results are not pretty. Prior to August 8, not one single national poll tracked by Real Clear Politics put Biden's job approval in negative territory. Since the last week of August, a full 15 of the 21 polls they've tracked show a majority of voters disapproving of the president's performance. Gallup's latest poll has Biden 10 points underwater, disapproving 53 to 43. In June, 55% of independents supported the president. That number is now at 37%. Voters may not be the only ones reassessing Biden as chief executive. After spending the summer ignoring the border crisis, the media has suddenly showered it with attention. Democrats in Congress and even the NAACP have lashed out at Biden. The sudden focus on Biden's incompetence suggests that the administration has reached a tipping point. Let's hope so. It's long past time that the president is held accountable for his failures. I'm Ed Morrissey. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.